Have you ever been in a service or in a church, and it was just kind of boring? It was just kind of lifeless. Like there was no energy. Don't say this one because that would that would hurt my feelings. Uh, even if you think it, just don't say it. But some other church, like some other time in your life, maybe another state, uh, you went. Yeah, exactly. You went, and I don't know. It just seemed like. They knew the songs, everybody, they, they knew the songs, they could read the words, they, they knew the tune, uh, they knew when to stand and sit, they, they knew how, to, you know, how the prayers went. They knew all of the little details, but there was just a lack of something, lack of energy, engagement, uh, like are you really there sort of thing. If so, then you can relate to a guy who was about 20 at the time. He was about 20 years old. And that was the feeling he had about his church. And it was a church he had been in for a while. It was a church his parents were in, his family went to. But he's looking around one Sunday and he's just thinking, like, nobody, nobody really means what they're singing. No, nobody knows what they're singing. They, they're saying all the words, but there's, there's no heart to it. So as 20-year-olds are sometimes prone to do, he complained to his father, who was a leader in the church, and told him everything that he felt. Dad, I just feel like it's just kind of lifeless. We're just all going through the motions, and nobody's really engaged, and we show up every Sunday, and then we go home, and it's the same thing every week. Um, and like dads are sometimes prone to do when their kids complain to them, this dad said, well, if you don't like the music, why don't you write something better? Why don't you do something about it? And I didn't, I, I, I don't know this dad, and I don't know the motives of his heart, um, but the translation of that from the original language is usually something like, would you please stop bothering me, right? I know none of the dads would react that way that are here, but there are dads who, when kids complain to them, they say, well, why don't you go do something about it just so the kid will go away, right? Please, go do something about it and leave me out of it. I'm dad. I'm tired. I've been working all week. Now, I don't know if that's, that was his motive. I don't know if that's the way the dad felt, but the dad responded to his son by saying, well, come up with something better. Don't just complain about it. And he did. This 20-year-old kid then begins to write his own songs, songs that the church had never heard before, the church had never sung before. As a matter of fact, for the next year, he wrote a new song every week for the next Sunday, brand new song. And as you might imagine, some people loved his songs, and some people did not love his songs. Uh, after he started introducing his songs to different people and to the church, there were people who said, well, these song, songs aren't as good as the old songs that we used to sing. Can you believe somebody would say that? Well, these songs aren't as biblical as the old songs we used to sing. Well, these songs aren't as deep as the songs we used to sing. These are trite. These words are not as good as the words we used to sing. There were even some churches that started singing his songs. And they would have to sing all of the old songs at the beginning of the service and then sing one new song at the very end of the service so the people who didn't like the new song could leave before they sang it. Can you believe people would argue about church music like that? Unreal. But his church actually liked the songs, and they began to sing them. Sunday after Sunday after these contemporary songs became the norm 
in his church. Now, this 20-year-old did not live in the 21st century. He's, he's not a contemporary Christian artist. You're not going to hear him on the radio. You can't go to his concerts. He didn't live in the 21st century. He didn't live in the 20th century. He didn't live in the 19th century. His name is Isaac Watts, and he was born in 1674. He died in 1748. In Watts' day, churches only sang song lyrics that came directly from the Bible. It's called the Psalter. It was mostly Psalms and some other uh, passages from the Bible. But the lyrics had to be exactly what was in the Bible or the church didn't sing them. And, and Watts got to a point where he noticed, like, everybody's memorized these words, but they're not paying attention to them. And there's nothing wrong with the words. I mean, it's the Bible. It's just we've become so used to them, nobody seems to care. So Watts thought, Instead of singing directly words from the Bible, maybe I could paraphrase the ideas from the passages in the Bible. Maybe I could put it into a more modern language and people would start to connect with it. And that's what he did. He wrote, he wrote hymns like, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past. Anybody ever sung that wonderful old, old hymn? Um, when I Survey the Wondrous Cross. That was Isaac Watts. One of the songs he's most known for is a song that he never intended to be a song. He was writing a collection of verses, poetry, called the Psalms of David. And so he was reading through the Psalms and he was picking out different Psalms and then he was paraphrasing, he was putting them in his own words and just writing poetry about it. And it gets published in, 19, in uh, 1719 Included in that collection was his paraphrase of Psalm 98. That paraphrase, or portions of it, became what we sing today as joy to the world. Now, he, he never meant for it to be a song. He didn't write it as a song. He never knew it became a song. And he definitely didn't know it became a Christmas song. Because he wasn't thinking about Christmas at all when he wrote it. He was just writing a, poetry, a poem. An American musician finds the, the poem and decides to add little phrases from Handel's Messiah. He picks little phrases of music from Handel's Messiah, puts them over the top of Isaac Watts' poem, and it eventually becomes the most published Christmas carol in all of history. Written by Isaac Watts, not for Christmas, not to be a song, and we sing it year after year, joy to the world, which is kind of appropriate. Even though it wasn't written for Christmas, we need joy at Christmas, don't we? We need joy every day. We need joy all the time. And, and sometimes joy can be especially difficult at Christmas for a variety of reasons. Joy can be very difficult to come by at Christmas. So I want to read, not the whole poem, I, I, I want to read the chapter that he based this poem on Psalm chapter 98. It's only nine verses. Uh, Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible. If you have a Bible, just open it to the middle. It's probably going to land in Psalms. The 98th one, it'll be on the screen. It's in you version if you want to follow along that way. Here are the words that inspired the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. Sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. 
The Lord has made His salvation known and revealed His righteousness to the nations. He has remembered His love and His faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Now, God gives a couple of commands in Psalm 98, and those commands all have implications. I just want to deal with one very specific command that God gives in Psalm 98 and a couple of implications of that command. And quite simply, the command is that God commands us to have joy. In Psalm 98 and through the Old Testament and New Testament, God commands. He doesn't suggest. He doesn't imply. He doesn't infer. God commands that His people become people of joy. He says things like shout for joy and clap for joy and sing for joy. The Bible uses the word rejoice constantly as a command. We're to be full of joy and that joy should be spilling out of us. We're told in the New Testament that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. If you're not familiar with that phrase, Paul comes up with it in Galatians 5. It just means that if you're walking with Jesus, if God's Spirit is at work in you, one of the characteristics that's going to continually be produced is joy. You can't avoid it. You can't sidestep. We are to be people of great joy. It's not an add-on. God doesn't present joy as an option for your life. You could have joy or you could do without it. God doesn't say joy is just for the people who are naturally positive. God doesn't say joy is for the people who are the glass half full people. Right? Because we all know people that are just always joyful. Right? They're just always in a good mood. They always see the positive. They always see the bright side. And if you're not that person, then that person annoys you a lot. Right? But they're just people who naturally, their personality bent is towards seeing the positive and seeing the good. And Now, the command to have joy isn't for those people. The command to have joy is for all of us. It's not something we just add in later. Everybody been shopping this Christmas season? Right? Uh, anybody been in a store in the last three weeks, four weeks? Uh, I know some of you do a lot of your shopping online. I'll get to you in just a second. But if you have been in a brick-and-mortar store, then you probably notice for Christmas they add queue lines at the register. It's like Disney World. Right? Except there's no fun ride at the end. You just spend money. So, so you go down this way and then you circle back this way. But they don't just put up ropes for you to walk through. All along the queue line, have you noticed? There's little things that you could add to your basket. Right? Usually they're small. A mitten, scarves, earrings, chapstick. Little And and the hope is that you're going to pass that so many times while you're waiting in line that at some point you're going to go, yeah, I really need that. And you're going to buy that too. You're just going to add it. When God commands us to have joy, we're not in a queue line and God going, hey, you should buy this too. Hey, you should add this to your purchase. Can we put this in your cart for you? Online shoppers, 
This is how it happens for you, Amazon people, Prime people. Um, the way it happens for you is you go look at something online for five seconds, and every time you open social media, that thing comes back, right? Every time you Google something, there it is. Every time you go online, there it is. They know that you were tempted by it. And so they're saying, hey, you could put this in your cart. Hey, don't you want to get this before you check out? Amazon has a clever way of doing it. Amazon will send you emails. This is how personal they are. They will send you emails with suggestions for you based on other things that you've purchased. You get these? If you don't know, I live with four women. The account is in my name with my email. I never get anything that I would need. This is what I get. Matter of fact, this is what came today from Amazon. Ken, we thought you might like this. Women's short rain boots. <laughs> How did they know it was raining where I was? <laughs> Yesterday, I got this one. Ken, you might need this. Women's solid, lightweight, flowy, elastic, lounge, long, draped, ruffle, hem bell, wide leg pants, loose fit trousers. <gasps> That was all in, that was the whole description. I have never needed loose fit trousers. <laughs> ever. So that's, that's how they get you, right? You need, you need to buy a little bit more. You need, you need to get this. You're not complete. You're not done yet. When God says that we're to be people of joy, that we're to rejoice, He isn't saying, hey, I saw you bought that. You might like some of this. God's giving a command to us. We should be, must be, in order to honor God, we will be people of joy, which means joy is not, um, it doesn't depend upon our circumstances. It doesn't depend on our stage of life. It doesn't depend on how old or how young we are. God has commanded any of his followers, you need to be people of joy. Now, here's another implication of that command. If God commands joy then it must be possible for us to disobey God's commands. It must be. If God commands it, think of any command that God's given in the Bible. From the very beginning, from the very first humans, when God gave a command, humans went to work really fast trying to figure out how to disobey that command. Like That's been our specialty since the Garden of Eden. How do we get around God's command? How do I disobey? How do I sidestep? God's expectations of my life. God never commands us to do something that we couldn't choose to, to disobey. Like no, God does not command for our hearts to beat. He doesn't say to you, be sure to keep your heart beating. Because you don't control that. I mean, you can exercise and eat right, but none of you have consciously been thinking all morning, I need to keep my heart beating. I don't want to disobey that command. You can't disobey that command. That's why God didn't give it as a command. God's commands all come with the potential, the possibility that you and I would disobey and joy is the same way. There is the very real possibility that you and I would live joyless lives. That's why God has to keep saying it. Rejoice. Shout for joy. Sing for joy. Clap for joy. Fruit of the Spirit. Joy. God keeps saying it because there's a very real possibility in the world that we live in, the fallen, broken, messed up world that we live in, is very possible that you and I might live joyless 
lives. What would contribute to that? What would contribute? What would lead us away from joy instead of towards joy? I have three ideas. It's not exhaustive. There's probably, probably more reasons. Here's the three I want to deal with this morning. The first one is inattention. I just stopped paying attention to the level of joy in my life. Life's busy. Life's stressful. Life's hard. Life's weighty. Stuff's going on. Everything else gets in my view, and I stop noticing my thought patterns. How my thoughts for the last week, month, year, five years just trend toward what's negative. I don't even have to try. Like, give me any situation, I can find a problem. Give me any situation, I can find what's negative. And, and I don't hear it coming out of my mouth anymore. I don't notice those thoughts. I don't notice the lack of joy that's in my heart. It's just inattention. I don't see it. I would be willing to bet that the people that you know who have the least amount of joy don't recognize that they have the least amount of joy. Everybody else around them does. Everybody else notices it. But we lose joy And we don't even see it. We just drift toward this joyless living. And and sometimes it's busyness and sometimes it's stress. And sometimes we blame it on life. Sometimes it's fear. When our fears get magnified, when, when our fears become our focus, joy has a really difficult time growing. Remember the story of the shepherds? Luke chapter 2. We studied it two weeks ago. The angel comes to the shepherd, and the order of the angel's instructions are, Do not be afraid, for I bring you tidings of great joy. Do not be afraid, I bring you tidings of great joy. It's almost as if the angel knew we got to deal with the, for, the fear issue before they're ready to receive the joy. we got to deal with the fear. Fear has become so big, so overwhelming to them we got to bring that down so that the level of joy can come up. I think that happens in our lives a lot. I think our fears about the future, our fears about our kids, our our, our fears about potential bad news, our our fears about all the what-ifs in our our country, in our world, those fears begin to loom so large that they keep us from experiencing the joy that the Holy Spirit is trying to give us. See, when when our attention is on our fears then our hearts can't be filled with joy. I think that's one of the reasons the angel said, don't be afraid, because I want to give you joy. Don't be afraid. I've got good news and great, but you can't receive the joy as long as you're so focused on what you're afraid of. We've got to move our attention away from our fears onto the Spirit of God, onto Jesus, onto the goodness of what God has done in our lives. Just inattention, just other things getting in my view and not joy. Second thing that I think leads to joyless living is what I'm calling inactivity. Inattention, inactivity. I'm not, I'm not doing the things that would produce joy in my life. I'm running after so many other things. I'm filling my calendar, my clock with so many other things. I'm filling my agenda my priorities with so many other things, that I'm not putting into my life the actions that lead to 
greater joy. The psalmist, speaking the commands of God, he speaks the joy commands in terms of activity. Shout for joy. Sing for joy. Clap for joy. There's action that we take that gets our lives and our heart in the right place to receive joy. And for some of us, we've just stopped doing those things. We've, we've stopped responding. We've stopped acting in ways that bring us joy. Sometimes I think we have to give ourselves permission to pursue joy. We're a results-oriented, accomplishment, goal-oriented society. And so pursuing joy seems frivolous sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't seem very spiritual. Sometimes we equate somberness with spirituality and God, and God over and over commands us to be people of joy. Sometimes we think this is not a worthy pursuit. This is a selfish pursuit. This is a pursuit that God wants us to be on, though. Similar to Isaac Watts, sometimes you and I have to take control of our joy. Isaac Watts' dad says, if you're not happy about this, do something different. Do something about it. Sometimes joy comes down to asking, what am I doing that will move my heart towards joy? How am I spending my time? Who are the people I'm spending time with that would lead me to greater joy, that would add to my joy? When is the last time you did something simply because it would bring you joy? Because it would feed that part of your heart. It would feed that part of your mind. We're inattentive. We don't notice it. We're inact- we stop doing the things that lead to joy. Serving. Like serving other people. Almost always leads to joy. Giving like seeing somebody in need and responding to that need. Being able to meet a need in somebody's I know it's Christmas, and, and we tend to think maybe a little more about that at Christmas, but really all year long, here's a need. I'm, I could meet that need. I mean, almost all of us have had times where we obeyed God. We responded to somebody else's need, and we walked away with a greater sense of joy. I mean, there are actions that feed and add to our joy. Third reason we have joyless lives is Insufficient sources, insufficient sources of joy. This runs a little counter to what I just said. But even the things that I just mentioned add to our joy. They can increase our joy. I don't know that any of those can be the source of our joy. We spend a lot of time chasing after joy in places that can't provide it. We convince ourselves that if I just get that job, then I'll be filled with joy. If I can just date that person, then I'll be filled with If I just have a relationship with that person, if, if I just get this raise, then I'll, I'll have greater joy. If I just get to this stage in life, then I'll, then I'll be full of joy. We think of joy as, as this target that we're someday, somehow going to hit. Instead of this continual process of our life of God giving us greater joy. And and so we look to all of these other sources. If I could just win the lottery, right? If you win the lottery, I'm your friend, right? Trust me, I I like you. 
But if you've read stories about winning the lottery, it almost never leads to joy. You've heard those stories. You listen to those podcasts, those interviews. People win the lottery and their life falls apart. That's kind of a microcosm. It's just one little example of how we chase after so many things and we're convinced if I just get that, then I'll be filled with joy. But this is where the words of Isaac Watts can be very helpful to us. He starts joy to the world with joy to the world, the Lord is come. Not joy to the world, I got a new job. Joy to the world, I married the person I wanted to marry. Joy to the world, I won the lottery. 300 years ago, Isaac Watts said, you know why there's joy that you can have in the world? Because the Lord's come. Because he's here. He is with you. Regardless of your circumstance. And your circumstances may not be great this Christmas. But regardless, the Lord has come. And because he's come, there can be joy. As we're running after all of these other things to bring us joy. Christmas, above all times, is the time to be reminded that joy is available because Jesus has come. Now the interesting thing, and some of you know this. When Isaac Watts was writing this poem that becomes a song, he was not thinking of Christmas. He was not thinking of Jesus coming to Bethlehem and, and, and being born in a manger, wrapped in... He wasn't thinking of Christmas at all. Psalm 98 was not written about Christmas. Isaac Watts was writing about the next time Jesus comes. Because he says, Jesus is going to come, he's going to rule and reign. And he didn't do that when he came the first time. He came as a baby. He was despised. He was rejected, Isaiah tells us. He's he's crucified. He didn't come and rule and reign in that sense the first time. Isaac Watts writes joy to the world thinking, but you know what? One day he's coming again and all's going to be made right in the world. I mean, the, the beauty of joy to the world, I think, is Isaac's Isaac Watts' way of saying, the story's not over yet. Wherever you're living and whatever's happening in your life, the the story's not over. Joy to the world, God is going to come. Jesus is going to come again, and he's going to make all things right. And All things aren't right right now. All things aren't good right now. All things aren't pleasant right now. All, All things aren't the way they should be, but joy to the world He not only came, he's coming again, and all things are going to be right. And there's not going to be any more tears that day. And there's not going to be separation, and nobody's going to die. And people aren't going to mistreat each other. And there'll be no heartache. Joy to the Lord. Joy to the world. The Lord has come and will come. We live with joy, not because everything's great. We live with joy because we serve a great God who will one day make all things right. His ultimate best plan is still to come. Final thought. God doesn't command anything in us that He won't empower for us. God never makes a command of you or me that He's not willing to give us the ability to accomplish. 
We don't always get it right. We sometimes fail. We sometimes come up short. But God, God's every command comes with a guarantee that His Spirit will empower us to accomplish that command. You and I aren't on our own trying to figure joy out in this life. The command that God give for us, gave for us to be people of joy comes with the empowering of His Spirit to help us accomplish that. You're not alone this Christmas in searching for joy. You're not alone in trying to push fear back or failure back or disappointment back so that joy can grow in you. The command that God gave to you is the command that He will empower in you to bring greater joy. You just have to let Him. You just have to give Him space. Isaac Watts in the, in, the, in the song has that great line, let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart. Individual question. Let every heart, yours, 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 mine. I can't do it for you, you can't do it for me. Let every heart give space for what God wants to do. Let every heart push back hectic schedules and Christmas and family. And disappointments, push, push that back and make room in your heart for joy. I know that is easier this Christmas for some of us than others. That is easier for some families this Christmas than others. Because some of you come to this Christmas in particular with a weight. And, and some of them I know about and probably most of them I don't know about. Maybe you've shared it with somebody. Maybe you've shared it with no one. Some of us come to this Christmas with a burden, a loss. There's a little part of our thinking this Christmas that has been, I just want to get to December 26th. I just want to get past it. For some of you, it's the first Christmas without a particular person that you love, that empty seat. For some of you, it's the 10th Christmas, but it's, it hurts just the same. Like the empty chair is still there. If you've had that experience, you know it doesn't just go away. Some of us are walking towards Christmas with a great weight. And my encouragement to you, you're three days away, three days away. Can you just give room in your heart for the grace and the mercy and the love and the joy that Jesus wants to provide even though it's a little bit of a painful Christmas. The band's going to come back and, and they're going to sing over us. And, and I invite you to stand and sing in just a minute when they do that. We don't do this all the time. Um, but I'm going to stand right over here. It's kind of crowded down front. I'm going to just stand right over here. And if you want me to pray for you, for your joy this Christmas, if there's something you're struggling with, and you just want me to pray, I, I would love to do that. My prayers aren't more magical than yours. God hears all of our prayers. But I'm your pastor. I love you. And you don't have to tell me what's going on. But if you want to come, I'm going to be right here. And, and I'd be happy to pray with you. And just pray for God's peace and his goodness in your life through whatever's happening this Christmas. God, thank you. That you not only command joy, but you empower us to be people of joy. In a world that is weary, in times that are a little difficult to understand, to be honest. 
times when there are weighty issues going on all around us. And, and for some of us right in our own homes, there's brokenness and heartache and, and questions and maybe even doubts. But in the midst of this season, help us to be people of joy. Help us to make room in our hearts for the goodness that you want to do in spite of our circumstances. For joy to the world. The Lord has come. And the Lord will come again and make all things right. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's worship together.